Welcome to Shooting It with Matt Langle. I'm Matt Langle, men's basketball coach at Colgate University. Uh, appreciate all you out there taking the time to listen to this podcast uh, created to help me become better, better basketball coach, better man, uh, through the conversations that I'm able to have with our guests. So enjoy it uh, like I do. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. Here we go. Thanks to continued listeners out there. Uh, in my mind, we've had a lot of great guests. Uh, today, uh, I think as special a guest as we've had, somebody in my mind who, uh, in the world of basketball, he, he, he might have uh, the most unique perspective. I, I really believe that uh, Rob Kennedy, president of the Hoop Group, uh, ESPN and Comcast commentator, uh, director of basketball operations for TBT, the basketball tournament, um, is very unique to this industry. He's, uh, he's been around a long time. He's seen a lot of things. And while there are great coaches out there, there are a number of great coaches. And while there are great media people, there are a number of great media. And I, I think that Rob, um, as I've been in this business over the years, he's, um, he, he really has a unique seat uh, in the profession of, of basketball. Uh, and I think can offer a lot of valuable things to, to coaches, uh, both young and experienced out there. Uh, so, Rob, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us today uh, for shooting it a little bit with me. Uh, no problem, but that's a, that's a heck of an intro. I don't think I can live up to that. <laughs> you, you always find success, Rob. You always find success. Um, you know, Rob, you, uh, we talk a lot in, in coaching circles as trying to find uh, you know, prospects that grow up in the game that maybe have an understanding of, of what it takes to be successful. You know, the focus on Steph Curry and, and his, his maybe part of his success is that he grew up in the game. Uh, we've had uh, both Doug and Chris Collins on the podcast, uh, and Chris talked a lot about growing up in the game, just being in locker rooms and, and around the game. Um, you had a similar similar experience growing up in a basketball family. Your family is full of coaches and former players, and uh, literally your your mother as well. You know, just with the camp, uh, you grew up with the the camp and the Poconos. Can you speak to maybe the influence on your life that growing up in in literally a family that revolved around basketball had on on your on your young days? Yeah, I mean, obviously, literally, I grew up in it. Um, <clears throat> from basically the time I was a toddler, I spent every summer of my life at camp. Uh, at camp up in the Poconos and, uh, you know, being around the game the whole time and then having the great fortune of learning how to play the game from so many of those people. Learned how to shoot the basketball from Herb McGee, who's the best. And it was really Hank Slider even before that. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, listening to Jimmy Valvano give his famous uh, uh, lectures at camp I, once a week, basically every week of the summer, you know, Jimmy Lineham and Roley Massimino and Dick Harder and, and Chuck Daly and all those different guys and, you know, different people that would pop in. But those, those guys were all regulars, but then the Bobby Knights of the world and the Dave Gavits and the Billy Cunningham, all those different people, having them come on in and, and having a great fortune and listen to all those people speak and talk about the game and really get a chance to learn from them and all the great coaches that worked camp back.
back then. You know, camp back then was a lot different. Um, you had all, all the all the college players. So think about it, like David Thompson and Kelly Tribuca. Those guys were camp counselors when they were in college, but they were all Americans because back then you weren't allowed to play in summer league. And so guys would come work camp because that's where you got these great games at night. And back in the day, there, there were about five or six camps up in the Pocono Mountains. And the counselors would split up to, to two or three teams, and then they'd go play the other, the other camps and the other counselors. And so, you know, one of the teams from Pocono Invitational would go to Pocono Mountains Camp, which was run by Bill Foster and Harry Lidwack. And then they'd go to Mr. Basketball Camp. Uh, you know, or they, they'd go up to Toby Hanna. And so every night, even after you were all done playing, you get to watch all these great college players. They play, you know, uh, first to 50 by, by, by teams of one. And, uh, I mean, it was just great, great basketball. And literally, you were around it all day, every day. And uh, it certainly instilled a love for the game in me. And, uh, you know, certainly gave me a different perspective than I think a lot of other people get. I'm sure there's a, 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 an, an endless number of stories that as a young guy growing up and being exposed to, you know, all of those Hall of Fame names that you just mentioned, um, you certainly have a books and movies that you could add to your uh, resume here down the line. Uh, education was also important to you, clearly. Uh, you, uh, after... After your high school career, you uh, made a decision to go to, to a, a premier academic institution in Columbia in, in New York City. Um, and after your time there, jump right back in uh, to the coaching ranks. Uh, can, you, can you walk us through that process? Was it just in your blood and that you said, this is, this is the next step for me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in and try coaching? Or, or why, did that, why did that happen for you right after, right after college? Yeah, so actually, I, I even I even started coaching while I was in college. So I was such a good player that uh, that maybe the coach of the JV team my junior year. Um, but but uh, you know it, it was it was something that I was thinking about. Something actually that my uncle Patrick did when he was at King's College. Uh, you know, obviously Pat went on to a great career as the head coach. At, Iona and Florida State, DePaul, et cetera. But, um, you know, did the same thing. After his sophomore year, he decided that he wanted to coach. And so he coached the JV team at King's College. Uh, and Donnie was the coach there. And so I went in and talked to Wayne Zoak and said, look, I, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play a whole heck of a lot. Uh, and I know I want to coach. What, what do you think? about me being able to coach the JV team. And so he went to the athletic director my, my junior year. Uh, they had to be the assistant coach of the JV team so that there was somebody, you know, uh, one of the other assistants to drive the team to the games and all that. And then my senior year, uh, I, was the, I, I coached the JV team by myself and then obviously helped out with the varsity as well. And that was a great experience for me, you know, a lot of times now with young coaches, they don't get a chance to coach any of their own teams. You know, back in the day, everybody would go work camp. They'd go work five-star. They'd go work Eastern Invitational. They'd go work Pocono Invitational. And you, 
it, it may sound silly, but you're coaching three games a day, you're coaching ten games a week, like at least you were coaching. You had to make substitutions, you had to make you know, you had to call offensive sets, you had to you had to call timeouts, you had to nowadays unfortunately, you know, the NCAA has taken away the ability for college coaches to work camp. Um, and so much is put on recruiting that our young coaches don't get a chance to coach games. You know, you used to, you know, Roley Massimino, he was the high school coach first. You know, you go back through so many of them. You know, Jimmy Valvano, he was the coach of the JV team, had Rutgers to start off with. The guys had an opportunity to coach as they got into the profession. Now, I mean, you know, young assistant, you get lucky enough to get an opportunity early to be an assistant coach, and basically you're out recruiting all the time, and so you don't get an opportunity to coach the game at all. And so for me, I thought that that was important, and it just solidified, you know, my, my passions for the game, and that's that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I figured I'd uh, end up doing for the, the rest of my career until we uh, ended up having an opportunity to buy Eastern Invitational back at that time, which now uh, you know, we call Hoopoo Elite Camp. But once we had that opportunity, then uh, then I ended up deciding to get out of coaching and, and uh, do that full time. Before we jump into that next phase, Rob, um, I, I think that your your perspective there is is really fascinating. One, when I when I stopped playing my first job, I was the third assistant at uh, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Coach Dunphy gave me an opportunity, and at that time, um, that that job, which was not a full time position, was afforded the opportunity to coach the JV team. Uh, and so, for my one year in that position, I, I did have to run practice. Uh, I did have to. You know, make sure the guys were there on time and decide what I was going to do when they weren't. Uh, I did have to, you know, organize an offense and talk about defense and, uh, like you said, make substitutions and deal with a guy who, you know, shot a shot he shouldn't instead of passing to a teammate that he should have. Um, and, and that was impactful because I didn't really get another chance to do it until, you know, 2011 when I became a head coach. You know, and that was, you know, seven years later. And so, yeah, you get to, you know, coach a little bit in practice. And I think the other thing you said about coaching your own team, um, you know, even maybe different than a camp environment to have that opportunity to, you know, think about different roles and different uh, characters uh, within the group. And that that off the court piece is so influential in in building a team. Um, Rob, when young coaches. Yeah, and, 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 go ahead. And the other, the other the other thing with that, and, and I think you'd agree twofold. So after you've had your own team and you've had to do some of that, it gives you a different perspective as an assistant coach. Sure. So when you're talking to dumps the next year when you get bumped up to full time, you know, full time and now the majority of your job is recruiting and player management and all that kind of stuff, you, you, you look at things a little bit differently. You know, and and uh, I, I think it gives you that perspective. And then when you now have that opportunity when you become the head coach at Colgate you know, you, you, you can at least, even though it's totally different, it's a different level, all that kind of stuff, it, there, there's still some of those things that now, which, which, when they uh, are presented to you, they're not presented to you for the first time. And so, you know, experience is important. And, and, and I think if we could figure out ways for young assistant coaches to actually coach, coach games, 
coach team, I think it would be tremendous for their growth and development, and I think it would help the game out a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think, and you know, I think there are certain young uh, college assistants who take advantage of maybe, you know, a foreign tour opportunity with a mixed mixed group of teams, and I, I think that helps them uh, immeasurably. Uh, Rob, I, I do. When young coaches come to me and they say, how, how, "It's so hard to get into this business," maybe guys who were former players or who who uh, didn't play but yet aspire to be coaches. Um, a lot of the time, what I tell them is you've got to make your way to the hoop group. You've got to find a way to get in touch with, uh, you know, if not Rob directly, then the camp and the people who work the camp and the guys who are there all summer uh, because you're, you're going to um, – you're going to grow your network and, and meet people uh, that are potentially at some point in time going to be able to help you get an opportunity. So if I'm doing it uh, and I never had the, the good fortune of working for you, my guess is that there are countless, countless coaches uh, sending young people in your direction. Uh, what, is, what is the advice that you give those people if they are able to, to jump on in and be a part of the hoop group or, or even if they're not? What do you tell the youth? who is trying, you know, aspiring to get in the industry. What's the advice that you give them as you've been mentor to so many people in this profession? So I, I think it's, I, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's parallel to a kid who's trying to get recruited, right? I, I think there's a couple things. One, you have to work on your skill set. I, you know, if you're a high school player who's supposed to be able to play, there's certain things that you have to make sure that you have your tool. You've got to be able to uh, handle the work, be able to get admitted, etc. You've got to be able to have good grades and good good uh, test scores, and you've got to be a good enough player. So, so you've got to be able to work at your craft as somebody who wants to be a college basketball coach. You've got to have different skill sets, the ability to connect with people, to build relationships, uh, to recruit, to figure out you know, how you're going to be able to make an impact with the kid. And you also, though, have to, just like a player does, you have to put yourself in a position where you can get exposure and where people can see that and understand that you're a really good player. Like, if there's a kid, you know, who's a terrific player and a good enough student and would be a good fit for, for Colgate, if you've never seen him or your assistants haven't, then, then nobody knows about it. And so I think one of the things that working at our event does is it does give those guys exposure. Other college coaches see them coaching on the sideline, see how they handle kids, you know, are talking to them about a player on their team, whatever it is. Uh, I think besides giving them those skill sets and, and showing them what it's like to be a grinder, because you can't make it as a Division One basketball coach if you're not a grinder. Uh, but the other part of it is then giving them a platform to be able to show other people that they are that they've got some of that skill set. They've got the ability to connect with kids. They understand the game. They can coach the game, etc. Uh, Rob, I, I just, again, I, I have a great deal of respect for you. And that, that word grind has become a, a, a buzzword in the, in the industry among coaches and players. Uh, but for somebody as successful as you uh, in your position, what, what is that? You said you got to be a grinder. What, what does that mean? Because I think a lot of young people 
um, don't understand uh, what, what a definition, they have their own definition of what grinder means, but from your perspective, what, what is that you value somebody who, you know, is a grinder? What does that mean to you? Well, I, I think in, in coaching, there are going to be times where it's long hours, where it's a lot of travel, where it's a number of different things, and you've got to be able to fight through whatever that is, fight through fatigue, fight through rejection, fight through any type of adversity that you have. And that, to me, starts with somebody's work ethic. Um, and one of the things that we, we – I have a uh, retreat every October for our full-time staff. We go away for a couple of days, and I bring in outside speakers. Uh, a lot of them are business guys, marketing, sales, but stuff that can help not only with them doing their job for the group right now, but as well giving them different perspective on stuff for when they move on, because most of them want to move on to become Division One college basketball coaches. And so, like Jay Wright spoke uh, last year to the group, um, which is great, coming off the national championship, and it's just our 17, 18 full-time employees, so it's a nice, intimate setting. And, you know, Jay talked about that. Like, first and foremost, anybody he hires and is looking for has got to be a grinder. Somebody that's going to put in the time, the effort, figure out how to overcome obstacles, etc. And the one thing he said is he said that in the, in the coaching industry, you know, he said, like, he hired Ashley Howard. And, sure, he knew Ashley from when he was at Drexel and as a player and then at LaSalle and, uh, and you know, at, at Xavier. But he also said he knew that he started out working at the hoop group. And, and his line was, well, the one thing you know if you hire a guy who works for the hoop group, that they're a grinder because running all the events that we run, running camps, you know, camps 24-7, you know, you're, you're lucky on a, on a week of camp if you get four hours of sleep a night, that's about, that's a good night's sleep, you know. And so those guys that have been fortunate enough to, to work for us full time, I think they understand what it means to really grind it out. You know, when you're driving out to Chicago last weekend to run a, academic elite top 100 and you're jumping back and you're staying Sunday because there's uh, some open gyms and stuff out in Chicago and spend the whole day there trying to network with some of the coaches because that's a new area for us and then jumping back in the van and driving back and showing up to work the next morning that'll that'll teach you to grind it. Thanks for that, because, again, I think in today's day and age that the youth often, you know, thinks grinding it is, you know, putting a picture of themselves on the Internet of, you know, of, of, of uh, a workout video that they did one time on, on one day or, um, you know, the, the difficult circumstance they may be in, um, and, and that's, that's grinding it. Um, Rob, you touched on a couple of things there that the Hoop Group has now encompassed. Uh, you know, 26 plus years ago, uh, when your family did uh, make the move to acquire Eastern Invitational, uh, you didn't have all these things: um, camps and clinics and tournaments. Um, you, you know, you now have a home base and a headquarters. Uh, you've continued to. Um, grow the business uh, as you reflect back and, and you're never clearly never satisfied with where things are at that you're always you know challenging your employees and growing your company and 
um, doing things like you talked about, having that retreat to expose, you know, to stay current with marketing and um, opportunities that may exist. Can you, um, the, the business that, you know, I mean, and, and from the coaching and pers- perspective, I would call it your empire uh, in many ways. Uh, can you share a little bit about how it came about, uh, what the initial vision was, how the vision has, has grown and, um, you know, where, what your influence as, you know, it's sitting at the top of, at the top of the hierarchy as you, you organize and continue to run the day-to-day operations, how, how everything has gone? Well, I, I think one of the things that we've been able to do is adapt and change. You know, if, if you don't adapt to the changing landscape, then, then you can become irrelevant pretty quickly. Um, and, and, and that was really important. And there's some of the things that we have to adapt to that we have no control over. NCAA rules and regulations have basically gotten rid of probably 10 different ventures that we used to do. You know, we used to have an exhibition team. Uh, the NCAA took that away. We would have events on Division One campuses. They take that away. They cut down the recruiting period. So we, you know, our opportunity and window to have events where college coaches are at are struck. And so we've been able to work around whatever legislation the NCAA comes up with. And instead of owning the fact that all right, here we've lost this part of the business. I think we've been able to find whatever opportunities out there that there are. And the one thing that I think we've stayed true to is in our mission statement is that we're, you know, dedicated to providing student-athletes, parents, uh, and coaches the best opportunities to help fulfill their dreams. And most of those are – and everybody's got different dreams, right? And, you know, it might be a dream of being able to play college basketball, uh, you know, at the Division three level at a great academic school. Might be able to be a Division one player. And some of the guys have dreams of playing in the NBA, some of which are unrealistic, and others that are realistic at that point in time. And so all the different things that we've done, I think, stick to that mission statement. And so our... AU tournaments, basically, we started running AU tournaments as a way to help market our camp. And so early on with the AU tournaments, they weren't done for any other reason to help everybody get connected to Eastern Invitational back then, now Hoop Group Elite, to help show them why they should come to camp. Because camp back then was such a huge part of the recruiting process. And you know, there were tons of camps. There was Five Star and Metro Index and uh, BC Camp and all these different camps. Uh, when I was first a college coach, ATC, um, and unfortunately, we're we're about the only one that's still out there in that elite recruiting space. And I think that's the same because so much has moved towards AAU uh, and. Look, I'm a big proponent of AAU basketball. All, 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 all my kids have played AAU basketball. They've had great experiences. My sons and my daughter, they get to travel. They get to meet different people. Uh, but it's all AAU. I, I don't think it's good. I think you get potentially pigeonholed in coaches seeing you in one role, uh, you know, with one group of players. 
when you're when you're at camp, you know, everybody plays this equal amount of time. You can go well with a kid playing on an elite AAU team and go after Vegas. And you know, I know you guys have had that experience when you go, and a kid hardly plays. And so, if you already knew he was good enough for you, that's fine. You're just going in your babysitter. But if you're really trying to get an evaluation, it's it's hard to get a good evaluation off of it. So, but anyway, you know, so. A lot of the different things we have done have been offshoots of our existing uh, core business, which is still the core of what we do is teach kids how to become better basketball players. Uh, And if if we do that and and we give them some additional tools of how to navigate their way through the recruiting process, uh, give them in a lot of our situations at Elite Camp and AU tournaments and a whole bunch of different stuff, a platform for people to see that they are good basketball players, and hopefully we can help kids along uh, and, and, and help them reach those dreams and, and be a small part of a group of people that help them get to that end goal. I think it's remarkable, Rob, what you've been able to do. I mean, I just reflect back, like I graduated high school in 1996 um, and what the camp scene was uh, then compared to what it is now. And, and like you said, I mean, you know, if you ask anybody affiliated with Duke basketball what has made Coach Krzyzewski be able to sustain, it's his ability to adapt and change with the times. And in, in so many ways, you have done that. You know, coaches often talk about, geez, when I was a player, that you would go to the playground and play outside, and nobody goes to the playground and play outside anymore. But in, in your side of the house, you have done just that. I mean, you know, you talk about you know, when you were a kid growing up that these all these college uh, All-Americans were working and sleeping in cabins and playing outdoors and, and getting a group of guys from one camp to go and probably play shirts versus skins uh, at, a, at, a, at a, another camp outside. And whether it's good or bad and indifferent, the, the times have changed. Um, and your camp has been able to uh, change with that. Um, as do you spend time thinking about that? You know, like even when when I was, you know, when you were at uh, College of New Jersey, which was Trenton State back then. You know, so many of your games were played outside, and now, you know, you host at at the Spooky Nook in Central Pennsylvania. You know, an AAU tournament. There could be forty some indoor courts going on. Uh, at one time, do you spend a lot of time reflecting on the change of camps um, o- over time, or is it kind of just like where where are things going? What do we do to do to make our camp better next year than it was this year? Yeah, almost all of our focus is forward. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's times where I think it's important to look back because a lot of times we look back and say, hey, you know, we got away from doing this. I, I think. I think we should maybe bring this back, but it's all about looking forward to how do we make camp better next year? Uh, what can we do to make kids' experiences better? Um, you know, we, we survey all of our kids at camp, and we do uh, as well some online survey stuff, uh, you know, to find out what the kids want. Look, I, I love, my favorite thing is the night games playing outside, uh, you know, at Albright, there are outdoor courts. We, we built them to specs, and they're really good. And, you know, I, I always rep the night games outside. But guess what? The kids would rather play inside than outside, even on a beautiful night. 
So I have to just remember that camp isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I would rather rep outside. On a, you know, the moon's out. It's beautiful. The sun's gone down. To me, that's, you know, what, what camp is. Every once in a while, I'll force it on them because I think it's important that, you know, they understand, like, hey, playing outside is still good. Like, you still can go to the park. You still can do that. Uh, you know, but, but, yeah, we have to adapt and look forward to what people want. And we take a lot of time. We have, we have all of our fall events going on now, and so we've got uh, fall jam fest for gay youth tournament this weekend and top 100s. We've got them. Ten cities all up and down with the eastern seaboard. So we still have a lot going on in the fall, but we've now already started going back through and looking at all of our uh, all of our events, all of our camps, everything that we've done, and we've started to do reviews on them to see what went well, what we could change, so that we can create a path moving forward for next year. One thing, and, and I think you probably can attest to this. Like, every time you go to a hoop group event, camp, tournament, whatever it is, there's always something usually a little bit different, right? Um, it, it might be a tweak in the schedule. It might be how we do college coaches packets, different things. But, but we always try. We don't, we don't want to be stagnant. Uh, Billy Hahn, who works for us, uh, was a longtime assistant at Maryland and at uh, West Virginia most recently. Billy would always say, you, you can never stay the same. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And so uh, that, that was always a great line, and I think one that we take to heart pretty good. If you just keep doing the same thing, uh, then, 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 you know, you're, you're probably getting worse. You think you're staying the same, but if, but if you don't do anything, if you don't improve on things, you're going backwards. Yeah, there's no doubt so about we'll spend, it. We'll, we'll spend... Like uh, uh, Jimmy Carr would always say that we retreat more than the French. <laughs> Jimmy used to work for us, and so like, so I have all of our divisional retreats, and so we start next week, and I've got two retreats every week for the next three weeks, and then we go to Atlantic City, then we do a basketball retreat where we bring in uh, coaches to, on the floor to, to to do mostly all drill stuff, not not as much offensive and defensive sets, but all individual training stuff because that's the things that, that, that we need to be doing with all of our instructional stuff. And so, you know, we want to see new drills and, and we want to make sure that our guys are exposed to new stuff. And, you know, we'll, we'll coach early to speak. We, we, we've had pretty much everybody in Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey has spoken. Everyone. So, so we do that. We do in-house stuff. We do some training. We, we'll spend a good amount of time in the month of October of really – looking at ourselves in the mirror and, and, and with that, then try to uh, set things up for where we're going to be the next year. Because when we schedule an event at the right place, at the right time, in the schedule, guess what? That event's going to be better. And with that event being better, having more college coaches, it gives more opportunities to everybody. So that pre-planning is really so important for us. And I think it's a great point f for anybody. And while you're, you know, one of the only people that has the business that you do, 
um, anybody in a position of leadership, and you joke about the retreat aspect of it, but anybody in a position of leadership, if they want to, one, continue to develop their, their people, uh, but two, advance their organization, you've got to take the time and, and spend it on learning and identifying areas of weakness or areas that you can improve. Um, and I think that that maybe is is underrated in um, you know in in leadership position. Um, I, I I think I think it, 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 in, in especially in coaching, I think it is underrated, and I don't think guys do enough of it. You know, if you think about it, your team becomes a better team when your individual players become better, right? So you spend you spend an inordinate minute amount of time player development working guys out sure. right player development yeah. well i think one of the, the the big parts of a head coach's job that a lot of guys overlook is you've got to develop your staff as well you've got to develop your assistant coaches uh all your uh, support staff whether that's your academic advisors your your office managers whomever i, I think it's really important and i think sometimes Coaches get so focused on player development that they miss out on that staff development. Because as as the staff gets better, as they figure out new ways to use uh, social media and new edge technology to make their jobs easier, uh, to, to, to get better at cultivating relationships and picking up ideas. And, and I think too many times we go to coaches, which I, uh, you know, I, I love my staff to death, and uh, but this this would been six seasons, you know, at least five full seasons together uh, with my current assistants this off season, and I like where our program is at. I think we're, you know, very competitive in the Patriot League, but for their development and our continued development, I, I told them, I gave them assignment. I said, don't don't worry about recruiting. Take three or four days this summer. Um, we don't have summer school, so our guys are not here all summer. They're only here for. A couple separate periods, and I said, "Take, their, don't do any recruiting. Find an organization and go there and study it. And you need to, you know, three days and two nights. And it, it can be in athletics. It can be just like you said. It could be a a copy machine uh, sales group." Uh, whatever it is, study their organization. How do they work? Where do they spend their time? Uh, where are their strengths? Why is why are that is that their strengths? And then how does it how does it uh, you know impact our group? I, I, that that part of my education, studying at at the business school at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, is constantly trying to apply to our profession. And I I do think because of the nature of our business and coaching of X's and O's, of players, it being a player's game and that driving the success of coaches that sometimes we lose sight of our overall development as an organization. Um, and, you, and you look at a guy who does that as much as maybe any head coach in the country, and that's John Calipari. Sure, sure. And 
no matter what, you know, you, you could be a fan of Kentucky and, and, and how they do things or not, but one thing's for sure, nobody's more on the cutting edge of marketing and brand building than he is. And the other is Coach K. When you go to the Duke and you go to their – everything is branded there. Everything has a – there's a reason why everything is where it's at. And those guys – and I would say I would put Jay right up there with those guys, with, with them as well. Those, to me, are the three guys that encapsulate all that other stuff that surrounds the program probably better than anybody else. And they reach to the outside. They don't stay within athletics. They, I remember one year, uh, Scotty Green, who's an assistant down at American, uh, Scotty's dad uh, ran a hotel down in Atlantic City. Uh, and we had him come on in. Uh, and Steve Keller, who you know well, uh, reached out to, to Alan and, and, and got him there. And I'm thinking, well, what the heck's Alan going to tell us about you know, run in a hotel. How his was tremendous because he he talked about customer service that made us relook at how we were doing so many things on our customer service side. It totally changed how we did it, and it was basically somebody from the hotel industry who had a small hotel having a fight against all the big casinos down there. It was tremendous, and it was incredibly valuable. Yeah, it's really it's really a great point, Rob. As you as you talk about change and adapting, and you know maybe not really from this doesn't impact you, although it does, but maybe it's out of your control. As you reflect on the last number of years, I, I would like to get your thoughts on on some other changes that have happened, like recruiting has changed. You know, you went from, um, you know, and in my perspective, I think is that like, you know, when I grew up in the Philadelphia area, I didn't really know. And I was recruited at an okay level. I didn't really know what was going on with guys in the Midwest or California or Florida or or anything like that, because I, I lived in the bubble that I lived in your camp and Rich Marcucci had a camp and, you know, you'd play a couple tournaments, maybe AAU in Connecticut and Baltimore, um, but there wasn't the, the national scene of interaction amongst, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds and AAU programs and all of those kind of things. Um, how have you seen the recruiting world change uh, in, in your time from your position? Oh, I mean, there, there's so many different changes. I, you know, uh, one, we, we, you know, the NCAA has enacted all this legislation for, for, in quote, to clean up recruiting, and especially at the higher levels, it's worse than it's ever been at any time in the history of college basketball. Uh, and you're lucky because at your level, you don't have to deal with that nonsense, but it's there, and it's, 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 it's more blatant, and it's just more pervasive than it's ever been at any time. And the, the NCAA put all these rules in because that was going to clean everything up. Well, it's made it ten times dirtier than it's ever been. And it's just a simple, you know, to me, they just missed the boat on a very simple fundamental uh, point. And what they've done is they've basically tried to keep college coaches away from kids, parents, high school coaches as much as they can through limiting you guys being able to go out, right? You, you have... Uh, 
in the summer, your extended weekends in the summer. And that was supposed to be, okay, if they don't see each other, then nothing can go on. Well, what happens is it's the other. It's the complete opposite. Because there is not the ability for you to get to know a family, a kid, well enough, uh, and vice versa, the kid gets to know enough. And when everybody was together, right, when, if, if you're at an event and there's 25 other college coaches around, there's, there's no, no shenanigans going on. You know, nobody's getting extra bump because everybody's there. They sell food. Well, now, you know, there, there, there's not that. So they get kids on campus by themselves. And, and all it does is if, if somebody from the outside just came in and said, well, wait a second, I think the very first thing they would say is you, you try keeping everybody separated, and that's just created way more problems for you, way, way more problems. The problems that, 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 that were, were intended to be taken away have gotten ten times worse. The outside, they, they thought it was going to limit outside influences. All it's done is force college coaches to have to go through outside influencers because they can't go directly to the prospect. Mm. And so it's like anything, any business. If I had to make a sale or something and I couldn't get to my end user, what would I have to do? I have to find a middleman. And so now college basketball recruiting at the highest levels is all about middlemen. Now, the NCAA loves to paint it as AAU values. Listen, there's more agents as middlemen than AAU basketball guys. Than, I mean, it's ten times more. Uh, but, but, again, because coaches can't go directly to kids, it's, it has empowered all those people that the NCAA has tried to legislate out. And so if, if you were to come on in, the first thing that I would think needs to happen is you've got to eliminate this concept of trying to keep everybody separated. Let coaches go back out and recruit kids. Certainly there has to be some time constraints put in it. You can do all that. But you've got to allow more direct contact uh, with people. You've got to be able to go out and watch kids more. You know how difficult it is in two weekends in the spring, especially in the Ivy and Patriot League, where you literally have to recruit on a national level where it's just about nobody else was, right? It, 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 it just, it, it's nonsensical. It, it, it's not, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so besides the, the problem with creating more uh, third-party influences throughout the recruiting process, the second thing it's done is it has created a situation where you end up going into a marriage with a kid, right, that, that you end up offering a scholarship or offering a spot and, and, and they decide that they're taking it, and neither side knows enough about the other. Right. And so the minute that things go south for a kid, then they're transferring. Right. And, you know, we've got a record number of transfers. I'm I pushing 700 Division One transfers this year. I mean, my goodness gracious, wake up. And so now what we're talking about, the NCAA solution to it, because they're getting beat up by the media and Jay Billis and everybody else, is, all right, just let everybody transfer wherever they want and I'll sit out. Well, I'm out, guys. <laughs> what, 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 what's the problem? The problem is is that 700 kids want to transfer and do. That, that should be where the focus goes. You know, I, I do think that, that we need some different transfer rules that need to be looked at, whether or not that initial 
you know, being able to, to play right away. I'm not positive about that. But the one thing I know is that, that we're, we're not getting to the root of the problem. Why do 700 people want to transfer? <laughs> now, everybody blames it. Well, these kids, it's a new, you know, a new era. They want instant gratification, all right. that. that. That's a bunch of nonsense. That, that, that's a bunch of nonsense, right? It, listen, of those 700 kids who want to transfer, I guarantee you it's a 50-50 split. I guarantee you 350 of those kids were told that they need to go find someplace else to play. And so why do they get told to go find someplace else to play? Because late in the recruiting process, they re- you know somebody lost out on somebody, they take a flyer on a kid who they don't know enough about. And so, you know, guess what happens? Now, because you don't have a connection with that kid, uh, because you don't know enough about him and his family, when it does go wrong and he's only playing eight minutes a game where he thought he was going to play 18, his first reaction is, well, let me go someplace else. And so I, I just think that, uh, that we really, our new recruiting model is, is, is a failed model. And how the NCAA has started to look at fixing that, I think we'll just continue to do the same thing that it's done, is that they'll over-legislate and just create all these unintended consequences. So much of their legislation creates unintended consequences because it's never really thought through. So in your opinion, as, as the times have changed, the recruiting model, we, we have not been able to, you know, the NCAA and the member institutions that make up the NCAA have not been able to adapt and change effectively with the change of times. And, and what you're saying is we need to kind of sit down and, and maybe recreate a model for what the current times uh, call for is what I'm hearing that you're your advice or your perspective is yeah. on the issue. Yeah, it's and, very interesting. And I, and I, yeah, and I think the very first thing is addressing the fundamental concept of keeping you away from kids and parents. Right, right. And it's just, if somebody came from the outside, they'd say, well, wait a second. If I can't deal directly with the kid and the parent, then what am I going to do? Then I'm reliant on a third party to go watch a kid play, to, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to be a go-between between the, the kid and his family, whatever it is, it just has created all these unintended consequences. Uh, it's certainly an interesting time. It's certain. Uh... Uh, Rabbi, I, you spend a lot of the basketball season, you know, watching college games um, for for a significant number of years. Here, you've worked for ESPN and Comcast um, to commentate games. Uh, I'd just be curious, wh- where did that interest come from? Is it a uh, is it to to stay close to the game, and then you know, through tho- that perspective, through those eyes, through the up close and upfront. Um, seat that you've had, I would love your perspective on how the game has changed um, and, and where you see it going uh, as we progress into the future. Um, well, I, 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 I think some of the new uh, some of the new legislation I think is good. Um, there's some of the new rules that have gone in on the playing side. I think have helped the game, freedom of movement. Um, you know, uh, certainly uh, speeding the game along. I, I think we have a problem with the end of games uh, that we have to try to address and figure out. Uh, at CBC this year, we used a great 
there wasn't an incentive to necessarily foul, and there wasn't an incentive to hold the basketball. Um, but I think the game of basketball, from a uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, has improved as of the last couple of years. I think there's more ball movement. There's more player movement. Um, obviously, scoring has been up a little bit. Um, and, and I think that that has led to, to a better game. There are a couple rule changes that I think, again, just don't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know why you guys can't call timeout on the sideline. Uh, that was one of the dumber rules that I think we put in because, you know, it, it, it was put in to help speed the game along. It, it doesn't speed the game along at all. And, and, and uh, it just creates confusion and some referees are – calling a timeout when a coach is calling it and it just doesn't make any sense so hopefully that's one uh that they look at uh that didn't work out but but i think i think that a number of the uh of the new rules have been good and and have created a better flow to the basketball game. well i, I think that you, you um you have a, a unique position as we started this this conversation in that um you know in a lot of ways that uh, you're not bound by any regulations, and uh, you're, you've been able to, you know, take turns and change. And yes, you do have to follow what the NCAA says, but I, I think that um, you have a unique position that you're allowed to, uh, you know, almost as a media member, although you're an active participant, you know, share that honest perspective. And I, I think it's of great value. Are there any other issues? Uh, we talked a little bit on recruiting in, in college basketball and, um, you know, the, the change of the game of freedom of movement and, and some of the progress is made there. Uh, Rob, are there other issues that you think are relevant in the game that maybe yeah. don't get enough attention right now? Um, yeah, I, you know, the biggest thing that's getting all the attention right now is the transfer stuff, and that, that, that's going to be a big issue that the NCAA is going to have to deal with. Um, you know, but as far as the game, how the game is played, no, I mean, obviously I, I think the, the, the more that we can get guys to dribble, pass, and shoot better, <laughs> the better the game is, right? Um, you know, and I think you guys being able to work with your players a little bit more uh, out of season I think has been helpful. Um, I think there are times where – you know, you guys have had to figure out what's the right balance of being with you guys too much or not enough. But, but I think guys have been able to work through that. Um, and, and I think the more that we can continue to do that, the better. Uh, these kids, you know, being part of a college basketball team is certainly an important part of their education. Um, and at the same time, we can't overload these guys to the point where they're not going to be able to do their, their schoolwork and where, you know, they, we've got to give them some time away from the court. Uh, I think it's healthy and good for coaches and players to have some time away. Yet, I, I also don't think that it's healthy the way that it used to be where you guys weren't able to do anything with guys. And so I think continuing to find that right balance where, you know, I, I go to play basketball at Colgate. I'm, I'm going there for a great education, uh, but also basketball is important to me. So I want to become as good a basketball player as I can. And the best way to do that is be able to spend time with you and your assistants on the court when I want to. Um, and I think, again, sometimes the NCAA over-legislates keeping you guys away from, from your players. 
Yeah, there's certainly a balance that has to has to happen, and I think as you know, as the as the game has become more and more of a business uh, to so many people, and you know, we had the athletic trainer, the Cleveland Cavaliers, on um, you know a couple episodes ago, and he just talked about you know the that you know 17, 18, 19 year olds, the bodies that they're getting early on in the NBA career are are more damaged than ever before. Um, so there, there is certainly a balance, uh, and because the stakes are as high as they've ever been, and that's understandable. But there is certainly a responsibility uh, to try and find that balance for young, young people, because I, I do believe that the overwhelming majority of anybody who um, you know, makes basketball and, and sports their profession, much like you, the original intent, uh, even though it's becoming a, a national business for you, is to help young people find their dreams uh, and, and yeah, help them right. achieve that. And so, you know, in doing that, we always need to keep that perspective and, and continue to find that, find that balance in what we're doing. Uh, Rob, I can't thank you enough, again, for taking the time. Uh, I think your perspective is 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 very valuable for a lot of people, for parents, uh, for uh, young kids who are, are who love the game of basketball, certainly for coaches and the, the countless coaches that uh, you impact and, and guide and mentor uh, in, in our jobs. Uh, I, I appreciate all that you're doing. And uh, again, I look forward to April, probably the next chance that I get to go to a, a, a hoop group event in uh, one of those spring weekends in April. But yeah. Rob, best of luck to you guys in October as you go on your retreats and do all your fall events. And I uh, look forward to hearing you on the tube this season as uh, as we kick things off. Uh, same to you, Matt. Glad, glad to be with you and good luck with the upcoming season. I know, uh, you know, you guys are trying to get yourselves going you had a good year last year hopefully be able to build on it as everybody seems to be chasing bucknell uh this year but uh i think you guys will be right there in the mix thanks rob hopefully i appreciate it the bison's heels yeah that's the goal that's the goal you always got to chase the target yep all exactly right. all right Matt, be well thanks, rob man. thanks thanks take care all right bye-bye see you bye-bye